Amen. Praise God. Oh! 
Calvary, where Jesus bled and died for me, and I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior on that cursed tree.
Little taste of heaven there. Okay. Uh, my name's Bruce Lyman, and I have had the privilege of working with a whole bunch of folks that are here in an amazing thing called ESL, English as a Second Language. Uh, last fall, we got a phone call from the Akron Public Schools saying, would you come and teach our young people English? They called a church and asked for that. Um, in the process, I got to know Hunter, wherever he is in here, as a great brother, and Hunter helped me start recruiting people. We have folks teaching at Jennings Middle School now every Thursday night from seven Alliance churches, the ones we already mentioned that are here, plus Chapel Hill and Stowe, along with seven other denominational churches. And in my mind, that is such an amazing thing to show the public schools that the body of Christ can work together. Ah, amen. We're receiving an offering tonight. We've never done that before on a Good Friday service. And it's going to buy, help buy books. We are working with refugees. Um, we're charging them $10 for a set of books. We pay 30 for the books with everything else. And so we are hoping to help, have you help us pay the difference there. Um, but it is amazing to see these people coming to classes from Afghanistan and Burma and Congo and Nepal and many, many places. And they're loving our teachers. They're loving the, the language that they're learning. And it's an amazing thing to have the, the body of Christ together. So if the ushers would come forward, we're going to receive an exciting offering. Thank you. The great I am. 
This has been fun. Um, yeah. Um, I, I get the privilege of reading God's Word tonight. Um, I'm going to be reading from Matthew 27. If you reach into the pew underneath you, there's Bibles. If you want to follow along, it's on page 1546. If not, it's also going to be up on the screen. and uh, Or you can follow along in your own Bible. I don't want to tell you what to do, but hang out with me on this. Start, uh, starts out in verse 1. Early in the morning... All the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. 
What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. The chief priest picked up the coins and said, It is against the law to put this into the treasury since it is blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That is why it has been called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 pieces of silver, the price set on him, by the people of Israel. And they used him to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you, asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah, Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. May the Lord add blessing to his word. Thank you, Rob. I'm Tim Feather from Cross Point Alliance Church, and uh, it's my privilege to lead us in prayer. So I'm going to ask you to bow your head as I lead us before the throne of God's mercy and grace. Great God in heaven, we come to you tonight on this day. An observance of what is one of the most holy days in all of eternity. The day when you turned your back upon your son and all the sins of the world were carried upon him to that cross. That day when his blood flowed freely and his body was broken for us. These are somber thoughts And yet they are glorious thoughts. The Son of God given for us. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you that you persevered and you endured the cross. Scoffing, scorning its shame. We thank you, Jesus, today that you are alive. That, Lord, in two days we're going to be able to celebrate the resurrection of Christ as well. But, Lord, here tonight, it's that grace that is offered at Calvary for which we bow before you 
and worship and adore you. And in doing so, we thank you for the grace that has made us part of this family of God. And tonight we have enjoyed, Lord, so much the, the unity of the body of Christ here. And Lord, we come to you out of a world that is so disunified and so polarized. And we recognize that, Lord, you have conferred upon us a, a responsibility to show this world what the unity of Christ is all about. And so, Lord, would you come and visit us even here tonight? Would you, by your Holy Spirit, come and indwell our hearts and our minds to bond us into that oneness, to bond us into the bride of Christ, that we might show this world the glory of a God who has forgiven us of our sins, who has indwelt us by his Holy Spirit and bonds us together in one. God, our world is desperate to see that. It longs to see that kind of unity. And, and we ask you, by your Holy Spirit, we can't do it ourselves. If left on our own, in our own human in- intuitions, we would we'd be scattered. We'd be, we would be just as divided. But Lord, we thank you. And we give praise to you for the glorious way you have ministered to our lives. We pray for your servant, Travis, as he comes to proclaim your word. We ask, God, that you would place your anointing upon him. And that, Father, our hearts and our uh, ears would be open to hear what you would say to us tonight. And that, God, you would take us, take us deep into the heart of Jesus as this word of God is proclaimed to us tonight. We thank you. We give you the praise and the glory. And God's people said, Amen. I also have the great privilege of introducing our pastor to this, this evening. Uh, Travis uh, Jackson and his wife Crystal came to us about two years ago. They're pastoring down at the Akron Alliance Fellowship, and I want you to give him a big Akron welcome because I don't think we've had you up front before. Come on up, yeah. Good to see everyone out there. <laughs> Amen to that too. I'm going to talk about the Lord's trial. You know, crucifixion was the capital punishment in the Roman law. Crucifying someone instilled fear in them, uh, in the person who wanted to be, who was to be crucified. It helped dissolve rebellion against the state of Rome and made a public statement to others. However, Crucifixion was not for Roman citizens. Romans would have never crucified their own. But crucifixion was for non-Roman citizens like the Jews and criminals. Crucifixion was dying the death of a criminal. It was for public shaming. The Romans perfected the method of crucifying people. In fact, 
the Romans crucify people out of sheer enjoyment. Many years after the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus, and a Jewish historian, Flavius Josephus, recorded how Roman soldiers crucified the Jews during a great famine in Jerusalem. Let me read this to you of what he wrote down. Josephus said, Roman soldiers call every day 500 Jews. Some days they called more. When the Jews were going to be captured, they were forced to defend themselves for fear of being punished. As after they had fought, they thought it was too late to beg for mercy. So the Jews were first whipped and then tormented with all sorts of tortures before they died. And when they crucified before the wall of the city in Jerusalem, Josephus went on to say, the main reason why they did not forbid that cruelty was this. The Romans hoped the other Jews might perhaps yield at the sight of crucifixion. Out of fear, lest they might themselves afterwards be liable to the same cruel treatment. So the soldiers, out of the wrath and hatred for the Jews, nailed those they called one after one and another after another to the crosses by the way of amusement. Where their multitude was so great that room was wanting crosses and crosses was wanting bodies. Tonight, we're going to focus on our Lord Jesus' trial that leads up to his crucifixion and death. Uh, Please open your Bible to Matthew 27, verses 24 through 26. I'm going to read from the ESV translation of the Bible. Just please follow along in your Bible translation. It says, so when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See it to yourselves. And all the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. The first thing that we see in verse 24 is Pontius Pilate. Pilate was the governor of Judea for 10 years and served under Caesar Tiberius. I want you to know that Pilate was not sympathetic towards the Jews nor compassionate. Pilate did not even like Herod the Great, who was a governor of Galilee. 
as as the Roman Empire established Herod. Herod, I mean, Pilate did not even care about the lives of Jewish men and women. In fact, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, verse 1, Luke recorded how Pilate ordered Roman soldiers to execute some Galileans, then they mix their blood with their own sacrifices that they made in the temple. Pilate's actions towards the Jews was, were atrocious, cruel. Pilate only cared for the establishment of Roman authority in Israel. One of those established laws was known as Pax Romana, which means Roman peace. Uh, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that the Roman world should have a time of peace and prosperity. The reason I'm mentioning this law is because it provides contextual clues to verse 24. Notice, according to verse 24, Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather a riot was beginning. If a riot would have spread out, uh, out of control, it would have disrupted Roman peace, it would, uh, which was a violation of Roman laws. This would have placed Pilate's position in jeopardy, causing him to answer to Caesar about people rioting in his jurisdiction. I'm sure Pilate wanted to avoid anything and anyone who might usurp the laws in Roman in Rome. The Jewish leaders understood this principle. For example, the Jewish leaders used political pressure on Pilate so that they can put Jesus to death. In the Gospel of John 19, verse 12, Pilate was seeking to release Jesus. But the Jewish leaders said to him, If you release this man, you are not a friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. A couple of verses down from John 19 and John 19, verse 15, Pilate asked the Jewish leaders, Shall I crucify your king? They responded saying, We have no king but Caesar. It's very an odd statement from the Jewish perspective. Because one other interesting fact is Jewish leaders did not endure Caesar ruling over them. They did not want an idolatrous pagan to rule in Israel or any other foreign nation to rule in Israel. 
This is one of the reasons why the disciples asked, Lord, will you now restore the kingdom to Israel, according to Acts chapter 1, verse 6. The Jews were, the Jewish leaders were zealous about their nation. So why, why did they say to Caesar? Why did they say that Caesar was their king? It was all about political motivation. The political accusation of Jesus being king of the Jews would have been understood in revolutionary terms. In which he posed a challenge and a threat to the Roman Empire. All of this was said and done out of political motivation so that the Jews, Jewish leaders can put Jesus to death. In terms of polished judgment, he could not find any reasonable charges to, under Roman law to condemn Jesus to death. That is why Pilate said repeatedly, I find no guilt in this man. He even told the Jewish leaders to crucify Jesus on their own, under their laws. Pilate knew Jesus was an innocent man. In fact, Pilate's wife, who was a pagan as well, tried to persuade her husband to have nothing to do with Jesus' trial. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 19, she said, Have nothing to do with this righteous man, for I have suffered much of him today in a dream. The dream that she received came from God, which was a divine intervention. Job illustrates this point. In the book of Job, Chapter 33, verse 14 and 7 through 17, Job said in a dream, in a vision of the night when deep sleep falls on men, when they slumber on their beds, then he opens the ears of men and terrifies them with warnings that he might turn man aside from their deeds. I believe that Pilate's wife received the message from God very clearly. At the same time, Pilate, being governor of Judea, could not evade himself from the responsibilities that was before him. He could not escape from not judging Jesus in Jesus' own trial. Pilate had to address the accusations made against Jesus. But for us, we know that Jesus was an innocent man. Even Judas knew that Jesus was an innocent man. Pilate and his wife knew that Jesus was an innocent man. The Jewish leaders knew that Jesus was an innocent man. So, 
Jesus was not sentenced to death because he broken any laws, any Jewish or Roman laws. On the contrary, Scripture tells us that Jesus came to fulfill the law. He was not a law breaker. Therefore, the only option Pilate had was to wash his hands as a symbolic statement. We see in verse 24 that Pilate took some water to wash his hands before the crowd and say, I am innocent of this man's blood. And the Apostle Creed, it states, I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, born of the Virgin Mary, suffer under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. So with that being said, we have to ask the question, was Pilate truly innocent? Was Pilate truly innocent? No, he was not innocent. Pilate wanted to appear to be guiltless before public eye. We see this type of characteristic in people today. Uh, do we not? People considering themselves as good people, but spiritually speaking, they are depraved, wicked sinners. They too follow in the steps of Pilate. People who have no desire to repent of their sins stands guilty just as much Pilate and those who indicted Jesus to be executed. People, people can have the appearance of God outwardly, have an appearance of outwardly innocence, like the washing of Pilate's hands, but they cannot wash their sins away. They cannot wash their sin-sick hearts to be clean. Only the atoning blood of Christ can do that. From the Sanhedrin's perspective, Jesus was a fanatic extremist who disrupted the Jewish system. Jesus was a radical in the eyes of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They wanted Jesus to conform to their way of living, to their standards. They wanted him to be their Messiah. But Jesus was not the Messiah that they wanted to be. So putting our Lord to death was the alternative plan. This is what Peter said in Acts chapter 2, verse 23. Peter said, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucify and kill by the hands of lawless men. As we know this to be true, the Jewish authorities they didn't care if they killed the Son of God. Therefore, they were eager to invoke a curse upon themselves. Notice how 
they responded to Pilate in verse 25. They said, his blood be on us and on our children. His blood be on us and on our children. I'm sure we're all familiar with this story I'm about to share. Uh, when Cain killed his brother Abel, and because he was jealous of his brother, it was an interesting you know, uh, thing that God said to Cain in Genesis chapter 4, verse 10 through 11. God said to Cain, the voice of your brother blood, your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed. You are cursed. This curse came true in many ways. In 70 A.D., the Jewish temple was destroyed. The statement that the crowd made, his blood be on us and on our children, is a representation of humanity. We see innocent blood shed every day. We see people being murdered in the streets of Akron. We see in the news that people's Innocent people are dying. It's a common thing. Last Sunday we heard about the news of 45 Egyptian Coptic Christians who were blown up by the radical Islamic terrorist ISIS. Ladies and gentlemen, please do not Take the risk of rejecting Christ like the Jewish authorities. Do not harden your heart. If you reject Christ, you are just as guilty of those who crucified the Lord Jesus. If you do not believe in Christ, you are already condemned. Please soften your heart. And believe in the Son of Man who died for the world. Look at verse 26. We see the name Barabbas. Verse 26, uh, it says that, well, we know that Barabbas was a notorious prisoner. He was a murderer and a robber. Barabbas was guilty of treason. See, Barabbas deserved to be crucified. He deserved the capital punishment in Rome. Not our Lord. And the crowd knew that Barabbas was a guilty person. However, they asked for his release. So Pilate, sitting himself on the stone pavement, which it was the judgment seat in Judea, to condemn Jesus to be crucified, they traded Christ for a guilty sinner. Barabbas. The blood of Christ is not, beloved, the blood of Christ is not only for those who rejected Christ. The blood of Christ is for all humanity. 
humanity is responsible for shedding Christ's blood, not just for those who crucify Christ. There's an old Negro spiritual hymn that is titled, Were You There? The hymn goes like this, Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Oh, sometimes it caused me to tremble, tremble, tremble. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? The answer to that question is yes, we were there. Not only as spectators, but also as participants. Guilty participants who took part in crucifying our Lord because when our Lord was crucified, he died for our sins. That is why we were there. We were there. It is an astonishing reality to know that the cross of Jesus represents the atoning substitution for criminals. This is the meaning of penal substitution. That is, Christ's sacrificial death justified the wrath of God and pardoned sinners like you and I. Jesus' death pardoned the sins of Pilate. Jesus' death pardoned the sins of Judas. Jesus' death pardoned the sins of the Jewish leaders. And Jesus dealt pardon the sins of us. He pardoned our sins. Do you see the do you see the irony in this passage? Do you see yourself in this passage? You and I stood guilty before God until the sinless one, until the innocent one took our place. We must place ourselves as the ones who were participating in the crucifixion of our Lord. It is the only way we can truly understand why the gospel is good and why, the, why we celebrate Good Friday. So I say, were you there? We were. Let us pray. Our Father, I thank you for your son. I ask you that he will continue to be glorified in our hearts and also in our minds. I ask you that you will press upon each and every individual to see the beauty and the, and the majesty of the reason why our Lord died for sinners. So, Lord, glorify yourself in the hearts of your people. As they continue to worship you and to adore you, I ask you that you will magnify yourself in them. I pray this in your name, in Jesus Christ. Amen.
Amen. Well, church, we're going to uh, enter into a time of recognizing that sacrifice that Travis just spoke about as we enter into this time of communion together. Um, I was just thinking uh, earlier this week about a time when I was a kid and I was outside playing in my yard. And my mom was there with me, and I was just minding my own business, having a great time as I was out there playing with some of my toys in my yard. And all of a sudden, I became very aware of the fact that some dark clouds had quickly rolled in overhead. And there was definitely a pending storm. But I noticed in the moment that there was a great distinction between the dark clouds overhead and the green leaves of the trees that were sitting so still. You ever have that moment? You ever experience that moment where it's like, okay, something is brewing here, something is about to happen, but it's still. 
And I pointed out to my mom that I had noticed this, and she said, well, yeah, that's the calm before the storm. You ever experience the calm before the storm? The storm Jesus encountered that Good Friday was a beating, torture, mocking, all the way to the point of being nailed to a cross where he hung and died. But there's this moment that happens just before that all takes place. It's the the calm before the storm. He gets away with his disciples. The account is found in Luke chapter 22 as Jesus and the disciples are around the Passover table together. And in the course of the evening, while it's just Jesus and the disciples, all, that's, all that we've talked about tonight, it's about to happen. And yet in this calm before the storm, verse 19 of Luke 22 tells us that he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, it says, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. They have this quiet moment together, this calm before the storm moment. And then as the next day unfolds, And they see their Lord being beaten. They see the crown of thorns stuck on his head. They see him whipped so severely that they can't even recognize him any longer. The words stand out. This is my body broken for you. And it all makes sense. And as Jesus hangs on that cross and the blood is pouring down, the blood that we heard, spoken about, sung about tonight, as they see that, they remember the words from that calm before the storm. This is the covenant between me and you. It rang out for them all through that time as they watched Jesus' crucifixion. It rings out for us today. I don't know what storms you're in the midst of, what storms you face in your life. One thing we know for sure is that it doesn't take very long for us to find ourselves in one, right? What a great moment for us to pause together as the body and say, you know, Lord, we don't know what storm clouds are going to roll in. We don't know how the wind is going to blow against us. We don't know the rains that are going to pound down in our lives. But Jesus paid it all. And that's what we remember as we enter into this time together. I'm going to ask the gentlemen who are helping to serve communion if if you would make your way down to the front here. And as they're doing that, I want to explain to you kind of what you can expect in the next few moments. What can wash away?
Thank you so much for dying for us, for being that lamb to take our sins. We didn't even seek you out. You found us and you willingly laid down your life so that we could have everlasting and abundant life. And so, Lord, as we take this bread, we remember your sacrifice In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the sacrifice that you made for us. Lord, for going to the cross and taking our place. God, I thank you for your blood that was poured out for us. Lord, I thank you that your blood heals us. Lord, we are made new because of your blood and because of what you have done for us. Father, I thank you so much and I praise you just for that sacrifice that you have made for us and for your blood being poured out. partake together. Amen. Thank you for coming this evening. This was an amazing service. And all praise to the Lord Jesus Christ for making the provision for us to be here. I do ask as we close out today that you do remember 
the words, the music, the things that were said tonight. And recognize that we're all here for a common purpose. That's to praise the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that he's done for us and everything that he will continue to do for us going forward. And we thank him that we have eternity with him because we have a relationship with him. Shall we bow our heads? Lord, we just thank you again for your sacrifice for us. We thank you for enduring the suffering that we deserve because of our own sin. But we thank you that you have made that provision for us. That you took the beatings, you took the suffering, that you died on the cross for us. And Lord, as you humbled yourself in obedience to the Father, may we be reminded how we are to humble ourselves as we leave this place and show ourselves to be beacons of light in a very dark world before others. Humble ourselves before others as you did for us. We thank you for the example that you've given us. We thank you for your very presence in our lives today. Because we are not just talking about a Savior who died, but one who lives now and lives for us. Help us to remain humble before others. Help us to remember the sacrifices you've made as we sacrifice for others. Help us to remember to pray for those that we know, that we run into every day that do not know you. Keep them on our hearts and minds. Help us to say the right words. Help us to allow the Spirit to work in these lives. And we give you thanks and praise and travel mercies as we leave here. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, that's the end of the service, everybody. Thank you so much again for being here. It's been such a blessing being together. Uh, We do want to invite you down the hallway for a time of fellowship together if you're able to join us. Uh, God bless you and a very blessed resurrection weekend to you. God bless you.